0: The following audio is from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com. Here's a question I want to start with you this morning. What if everyone in this room this morning would say to God, the thing I want most this year is to be used by God in the life of another person? What if, what if that was your greatest desire and prayer, that God would use you in 2014 to touch somebody else's life? I honestly believe, and I'm sure you'll agree with me, there is nothing, nothing more exhilarating, nothing more motivating, nothing more exciting than to feel like you've been used by God to encourage somebody else's life. Do You agree with that? Say amen if you do. No, that was lame, but that's all right. We're, we're good. I hope that you're going to get excited with me as you think about this message this morning when God uses a nobody, because that's what God's out to do in your life. Because if you don't feel like you have anything to offer the kingdom, you do. You do. And so let's jump in right now to First Samuel chapter 16, First Samuel chapter 16. If you know a little bit of the history of Israel, they had enjoyed some great success and they wanted to be like everybody else, which was a problem, so they wanted to have a king. And so they found that King Saul would, would be the guy that would lead them in their kingdom. But if you know anything about King Saul, his life deteriorated. The success of his life really got to him. And he became a very narcissistic control freak that was only really concerned about his public image. And you'll notice in chapter 15, verse 35, it says, "'Until the day Samuel died, he did not go to see Saul again, though Samuel mourned for him, and the Lord was grieved that he made Saul king over Israel.'" It was a very difficult time, and it was a time of transition in Israel. They needed a new king. They needed somebody to bring some integrity back to the throne. So we're going to jump into 1 Samuel 16 and see how that whole thing came about. Verse 1, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? Saul will hear about it and kill me. Saul was a very intimidating character and even Samuel the prophet was afraid of him. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me one I, the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They answered, You come in peace. You see, the problem was when the prophet showed up in town, people were kind of frightened because usually the prophet had something bad to say. And so these guys are pretty upset about the prophet showing up in Bethlehem. They were wondering what the deal was. Samuel must have felt like a real popular guy, right? Verse 5, Samuel replied, Yes, in peace I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Concentrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Here's the first principle I want to share with you this morning, and that is this. God has prepared a specific plan For all of us. For all of us. Ephesians, or Psalm chapter 139, verse 16, it says, All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. You see, Samuel didn't know what he was supposed to do other than he was supposed to anoint somebody king. And he knew that it took some kind of a risk because Saul would have killed him if he would have found out. But you notice here that God had a simple plan. He had a plan that He didn't completely reveal to Samuel, but nonetheless, Samuel got on board with God's plan for his life and for the life of Israel. Ephesians 2.10, I quoted that a little bit earlier for communion. It says, For we are as workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You see, when you came to Christ, God created this uniqueness in you, from the very day you were born, and it says in that, in that Ephesians passage that you are his workmanship, you're his masterpiece, you're this unique human being that God wants to use, and he has a plan already mapped out for you, the decision that you have to make is this, are you willing to get on board with this plan, or are you busy trying to make your own plans? You know, for those of us who like to make our own plans, and most of us do, right, we like to make our own plans, we like to be in control, we'd like to be running the show. But God has a specific plan for you, and I think part of our journey as a believer in Christ is to get on board and discover what his plan is for you. And if you haven't discovered that yet, you're missing an opportunity that God maybe really wants to use you to build his kingdom in a wonderful way. And so that's the first point I want to make to you this morning from what I see here is that God had a plan for Samuel and God had a plan for David. Now let's move on in the story. Let's look at verses 6 and 7. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. Eliab was the oldest son. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You see, immediately, the obvious choice for the next king that Samuel was to anoint would probably have been the oldest son in Jesse's family. He had priority, they had rank, and so he also was a good-looking guy. And so Samuel immediately thought, well, it must be Eliab. And God said, "Uh uh-uh, that's not the guy. That's not the guy. Because there was something not really together in Eliab's heart. What I want to share with you this morning is that God wants to use those people who have their heart in the right place. See, when he saw this, God rejected this guy because apparently God saw something in his heart that just wasn't ready to be king or ready to be used by him. You see, the point I want to make to you, it's not a perfect heart we're talking about here. I mean, sometimes we think that we've got to get our act together completely in order to be used by God, and that's not the case. But here, if I were to answer this question about whether our heart's in the right place or not, it's this, and that is our pursuit in life, our greatest desire is to please God. And if our heart is there, underneath all of the, the good intentions, and sometimes we have the ups and downs and successes and failures in our life, but if our heart is there where we say, bottom line, God, I want to do what you want me to do. I have My greatest desire in life is to, is to align with your plan. Is that where your heart is today? Because those are the kinds of people that God is choosing to use to really make a difference in the kingdom. So our heart needs to be in the right place. See, you know, we're so focused in this culture on the outer appearance, aren't we? I mean, everything's about image, isn't it? Everything you see on television and the media is all about image. It's all about how you present yourself on the outside. And God says, you know what? I'm not interested in that, really. I'm interested in your heart. I'm interested in the inner being. That's what I want to make sure is in the right place. And so Eliab was not the right guy for the job. So my question to you, is your greatest desire and pursuit in life to please God or to please men? Because when we think about our outer appearance, it's all about pleasing men. It's not really about pleasing God because God looks at the heart. So let's look on, move on in the story here. Then Jesse calls Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah passed by. But Samuel said, "No, has the Lord chosen this one." Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, "The Lord has not chosen these." So he asked Jesse, "Are these all your sons?" I mean, it was like a beauty contest. I mean, these 6, 7 brothers come walking through and Samuel looks at him and said, "Nope, not you. Nope, not you. Not you. Not you. Not you." It's like, "Well, then who?" And so so Samuel said, "Hey, hey, Jesse, are there any more guys? you got any more boys in the family? Well, he says, well, they're still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he's tending the sheep. See, tending sheep in that day was probably the lowest of the lowest on the social strata. I mean, tending sheep was a smelly, dirty job. And it was a pretty lonely job. Now, the closest I've come to tending sheep is tending turkeys, So you need to know that. Um, people don't know this about me, but I used to raise turkeys for a living. 30,000 of those dumb things. It was totally for the birds. It was the foulest job I ever had. So um, It wasn't a pleasant job. You came home smelling like a turkey. It, it was the barn was always dirty. There was always a disease. Well, this was a little bit, I can identify a little bit with the shepherd because there were nights where I would actually spend a night with the, bur- with the turkeys, you know. Uh, anyways, I won't go there, but I'll, um, it, was, it was quite an experience. But the point here is, is that David was out there tending the sheep. He was the low man on the totem pole. Move on. Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent and had him brought in. He was ruddy, with a fine appearance and handsome features. It's interesting how the scriptures tell us that he was good looking, even though God looks at the inner part. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. He's the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the presence of his brothers, and from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Samuel then went to Ramah. Now, this is amazing. And this is the third principle I want you to see here. God often uses those who are marginalized and obscure to do the greatest things for the kingdom. I mean, David wasn't even invited to the party. I mean, there was this big sacrifice going on, this big feast, and and there was this sort of this celebration. Which one was going to be king? And David wasn't even invited. He was so marginalized, he was out there as an outcast, really, in his own family. Here's the application that I see here. If you don't think you have much to offer to the church and to the world, you are totally wrong this morning. If you're sitting there with me this morning saying, you know what, you know, I just don't have a whole lot to give. You know, I don't have that many talents or gifts and, you know, I've, you know I'm kind of, you know, hanging out, doing, not, I'm just kind of not worth a whole lot. Stop! Did he not use a bunch of blue-collar fishermen to turn the world upside down? Come on, stop putting yourself down. You're his workmanship. You're his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus. God took a 17-year-old girl named Agnes from an obscure country called Macedonia to a convent where she became burdened about the poor. She later won the Nobel Peace Prize for her work in India. You know who that is? Yeah, Mother Teresa. Took a 17-year-old girl in an oblivious kind of country, and God used her to touch hundreds and even thousands of lives. You know, I think about how God used different things in the Old Testament. He used a staff, remember, for Moses. And the staff turned into a serpent, and he picked it back up, and it turned back into a staff. The staff was used when he parted the waters. I can even remember when he used a donkey. So some of you feel like a donkey um, this morning. God can still use you because it's often those obscure people. You don't know. I was just having a conversation. I, I've uh, been in touch. I was doing my, annual, my monthly report for my ministry, and I have touched thir- or talked to 38 different pastors and wives this past month. And was really interesting as I called one pastor friend of mine who I mentored for a couple of years over in California. And he's in this small church, very small church, about 75 or 80 people. And I said, Al, how's it going? He said, you know, well, it's been really interesting. He said, I've led three guys to Christ, and they're now going through the Gateway program, which was a pathway to full-time ministry to be educated. And I said, you know what, Al? There's probably going to be times where you feel like you're nobody. You're a forgotten pastor in the middle of nowhere, pastoring this tiny little church, and nobody really cares. You're not in the limelight like all the megachurch pastors, but you know what? God is using you to do effective ministry, and you never know how those three guys are going to change the world. And there's people sitting here this morning. You never know how God might want to use you, even though you feel like you have nothing to offer. So let's move on in the story. Verse 14, Now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Saul's attendant said to him, See, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command his servant here to search for someone who can play the harp. He will play when the evil spirit from God comes upon you, and you will feel better. So Saul was having some real emotional problems. He was struggling with depression, depression, He was probably bipolar. He was probably, he was a mess, okay? And so some of his servants thought, you know, what would really be good for you, Saul? You need a little music in your life. And so if you had a little, somebody that could play harp, maybe that would calm your soul a little bit. So Saul said to his attendants, find somebody who plays well and bring him to me. Well, who do you think That was, and that is, this is interesting how God has a plan. He's working his plan, right? One of the servants answered, I have seen a son, Jesse of Bethlehem, who knows how to play the harp. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine looking man and the Lord is with him. Interesting. Then Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son, David, who is with the sheep. So Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat, and sent them with his son David to Saul. David came to Saul and entered his service, and Saul liked him very much, and David became one of his armor bearers. And then Saul sent word to Jesse, saying, "'Allow David to remain in my service, for I am pleased with him.'" So he goes from the the sheep to the palace. "'Whenever the Spirit from God came upon Saul,' David would take his harp and play, and then relief would come to Saul. He would feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him. Really interesting. Here's the point that I want to make here God uses those who are available with their talents to help encourage those in need. You see, David had a talent. You know, he probably played the harp out there with the sheep. Because it was really important to keep the sheep calm. I know when I raised turkeys, when we were out in, and they were out in the field, uh, in, there, uh, in the range, we would turn on the radio in our vehicles and park our truck out there with the turkeys to play music all night long, and it was soothing to the turkeys so that they wouldn't get disturbed. And so I wouldn't be surprised if David was out there playing on his harp in front of the sheep, kind of enjoying and singing some songs, probably, you know, making some songs out there as some of his psalms were. And so what I, what I see here is that David had a talent and he was available to use his talents. And so the application I see here is that are you finding time for ministry? See, David was really a busy guy. I mean, taking care of sheep was a 24-7 deal. I can relate to that because when I raised turkeys, it was 24-7, and it was sometimes in the middle of the night. It was a very busy time when we had those flocks, 30,000 of them. Are you finding time for ministry here? Because God has given each of us gifts and talents that are designed to be used for the building of the church. Maybe you don't play the harp, but God has equipped you. Scripture tells us that every person in this body that are sitting here today, if you know Jesus Christ, he has given you a spiritual gift to be used, a talent, an ability, something to build his kingdom, something to encourage people. And it may be something as simple as a, 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 a seeing eye dog that you want to, that you're raising, that you want to help somebody to be encouraged. It, it, it could be uh, the ability to sew or the ability to cook or whatever it is. There's different talents and abilities God has given you. And the point here is David was a busy guy. He was attending sheep, but when the king needed something, he was there and available to encourage him. And sometimes we say to ourselves, oh, I can't get involved in ministry. I can't help in the church. I can't serve. I'm too busy. Baloney. Then you have not, your, priority, your priorities aren't in the right place. Because here David was a busy young man, and yet when Saul needed him, he'd walk away from his sheep and at least use his talents to encourage somebody else. I've read this quote, and it's really a good one. Here's what it says. Between the great things we can't do and the little things we won't do, the danger is that we'll do nothing at all. Did you hear that? Let me read that again. Between the great things we can't do and the little things we won't do, the danger is we shall do nothing at all. And unfortunately, there are a lot of folks in the church today that take that to heart. Now, here's principle number five. Because as I read this, look at verse 13 here. Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, what? The spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Do you think that David felt that power? I'm sure he did. There was an anointing that took place in David's life, a special anointing of God's power in his life. Do you What do you see David doing? Do you see him gloating in front of his brothers say, Nanny, nanny, boo, boo. I'm the little brother and I'm going to be the king. No. What's David doing? He's back with the sheep. He's back doing his job. He didn't gloat. He didn't. And yet there was this incredible anointing. The power that came over David was incredible. And what I see here is that this is the principle number five. God uses those who remain humble no matter how much success they enjoy. God uses those who remain humble no matter how much success they enjoy. You see, David could have probably thought, hey, I'm not doing the sheep anymore. God's anointed me king. I'm just going to go do my harp thing and kind of snuggle up with the king and be his armor bearer, and I'm not going to take care of the sheep anymore, Dad, so see ya. That's not what his attitude was at all. You find David back tending sheep, doing his job, minding his own business, being faithful, being humble, So what's an application here? Well, let me ask you a question. Are you the type who seems to have a sense of entitlement and wants to cling to your rights? Like it's my way or the highway or Scripture says God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. You know, some of you have enjoyed a lot of success in your life. God has blessed you in many, many ways and you feel like, you know what, I've kind of earned it, I've, come, I've brought, I pulled myself up by the bootstraps, I, you know, I've been pretty successful in my life, and I've, I've kind of arrived, and, and I'm going to kind of do life my way, and so on and so forth, and bottom line is, that's a prideful thing, because if it wasn't for God, none of us would be successful, amen? It's all about the Lord. And what I see here in David is just a really powerful illustration of a young man who could have had tremendous entitlement issues. Hey, I don't need to work with these sheep anymore. God's anointed me to be king. I've got this special anointing in my life. See ya. That's not how he relates. I think it's a powerful illustration of a godly young man who had enough sense to realize, look, this is about God. This is not about me. Why? Why? Because man looks at the outer appearance and God looks at the heart. See, David was a young man whose heart wanted to please God more than anything else. Now, there's a time later on in his life, as you know, where David stumbled pretty badly. And that's what I love about David, because when we trace David's life, we see all of his incredible characteristics that are so unbelievable of integrity and godliness and humility. And then your next breath, you see him screw up. And it's so fun to be able to identify with a guy like this because we kind of put these folks on pedestals, but in reality, they're just human, just like you and me. So we're going to stop there this morning, and I want to finish by asking you some questions. What kind of a legacy do you want to leave in your life? You see, when I see David here, I see a guy who God anointed, who had a plan for him, and David was available, and God used him in a wonderful way. And I believe that God wants to use each one of us that are sitting here. Do you all believe that this morning? Do you really believe that? He wants to use you? I was in, uh, had a conversation with a pastor a number of weeks ago. He's a friend of mine, Scott, up in Park City, Utah. Beautiful place, as you know. And there was a guy who was a schoolteacher and a coach in the local high school who died of a brain aneurysm at age uh, 38. It was a real tragic death. He had been coming to Scott's church for quite a long time, and so they had the memorial service there. The church seated about 500 people. And uh, Scott, usually when he does a memorial service, like most pastors, allows people to stand up and say nice things about folks, you know, at the memorial service in a spontaneous way. And he thought that he would allow that to go on for maybe 45 minutes or an hour. Well, not only did 800 people show up to the memorial service, the sharing went on for three hours. And in the middle of that sharing, a man stood up and he said, You know, I know that teacher. He has meant so much to me. And maybe you don't know, but his life spoke far more than his words. And I want to tell everybody this morning at this memorial service that I want to accept Jesus Christ today because of that man. And you could have heard a pin drop. And I thought, wow. Did he ever know how much influence he had in people's lives did he ever really have a clue that 800 people would show up to his memorial service and people would go on for 3 hours and talk about the integrity of this man and his testimony of Jesus Christ just an ordinary guy a teacher a coach in a high school who allowed God to use him in a very unique and special way in how he was wired god's masterpiece And I trust that as you're thinking this morning with me and you think about the life of David, we're going to go on to next week. And by the way, we're going to have fun next week because you know what's coming up. And the title of next week's message is Winning the Battles of Life. And maybe some of you are in the battles right now, in some battles. And so we're going to look at that next week and we're going to have fun with that. But right now, I want you to just pray with me for a moment. I want you to just um, think with me for a moment. You've been thinking already. I can tell God has been speaking this morning. I had you meditate a little bit earlier during the time of communion, and I asked you to think about who God might want to use you to encourage. And here's what I'd like for you to think about this morning with me. Number one, if you can just say to the Lord this morning in your heart of hearts, and with all honesty, and say, God, you know, I want to be used. I want to make a difference this year, 2014, in somebody's life. I want to be able to say in December of 2014, God, there's a specific way that I, you've used me to touch this person's life. And God, I am so thankful that I was so available to do that. So here's what I'm asking bottom line is, Are you a man or a woman after God's own heart? It is your greatest desire to get on board with his plan for your life and to do what he wants you to do. Father, thank you for the privilege it's been to share this morning. For a guy like David, who was nothing more than a teenager out in the middle of nowhere, tending some sheep, probably feeling like nobody cared, and yet you put your hand on his shoulder and you anointed him for a job. I'm so thankful, Lord, that you don't look at the outer appearance, but you look at the heart. So, God, may our hearts be prepared to be used this year. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.